What a wonderful time of the year. Here we are, a week out from Christmas. Things are getting exciting, right? Only a few more days of school for the kids, and the countdown is on until Christmas. You know, we're into single digits now. It's almost here. This is going to be the, the best week of the year, maybe the longest week of the year, depending on your age and how many people you still have to buy for. <laughs> Things are going quickly. I love Christmas time. I like the decorations and the songs and the special programs and like giving gifts. I like receiving gifts. Who doesn't like that, right? Like I said last week, when I was younger, my goal was to get the best presents ever. When I went to a gift exchange, it was to walk away better than when I went into that gift exchange. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm just saying as a young man, that's what I tried to do. But now as an older middle-aged person, I, I, I would say that I'm really, really easy to buy for. My wife would argue and say that I'm not easy to buy for, but really, I mean, I love just giving gifts, and I, I, I buy something, and I want to give it right away. And my family, like my brothers, we all have um, a theme every time we do a gift exchange. Like um, last year, it was, it has to be as seen on TV. You know, that's the gift. We don't, we don't do lists. We just say, it has to be 24 inches long or something like that. You know what I mean? Um, with my wife's family, it's just there's a list. You buy it. And um, my extended family on that side, I guess they try to win Christmas by giving the best present ever. Um, well, that's, you know, the point of Christmas, the point of giving Christmas gifts is not to win anything, bragging rights, and it's not to get the best gift possible. As we get older, we know that we don't actually need something for Christmas. That's not the point of Christmas. They don't make a list because I need something. You know, I need new shocks on my car, and I didn't put that on my Christmas wish list at all. I just need to make an appointment and go get it fixed, right? So what's the point? Why do we get gifts? Why do we talk about gifts at Christmas time? Well, the point is, is that we give gifts to somebody in order to show love to that person. It's an expression of our love when we give gifts, and a thoughtful gift is actually more important than an expensive gift sometimes because it shows how much you care. Last year was the first Christmas without my mom, and someone found a note that my mom had written with the handwriting love you on it, and they made copies and put them in little frames and gave them to all the grandkids, and those little frames sit by my kids' beds each night. And how much did that cost, the person in our family to do that? didn't cost them much at all, right? But how much is it worth? It's priceless. Because it's, an, it's a gift that's an expression of love. And love is one of those emotions that comes with Christmas. We talked about hope and peace in previous weeks. And next weekend, we're going to talk about light on Christmas Eve and joy on Christmas morning. But if there's one core theme this time of year, it's love. It's why that's at the heart of every Hallmark Christmas movie. Whether it's love between friends, love within family, or romantic love, they all come to the forefront this time of year. But the one love that trumps them all is the very reason for the season, and that is the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God's gift of his son is the most important gift that you can receive. And this is a one-sided gift exchange. No one gets to win this one because no one can outgive God. 
Christianity is all about exchanges. Did you know that? It's all about an exchange. We bring our sin to God and he gives us new life. We get a whole new life in Christ. The first week we talked about how Christmas reminds us that we can bring our despair and our hopelessness to him and he gives us hope. And then last week we looked at how Christmas shows that we can take our worries and our anxieties and our cares to him and he gives us the gift of peace in exchange. And so this week I want to focus on God's love for us. Christmas shows us that we can exchange our lack of love for God's love. Because this is the true love that we really need and the only love that can truly change us. First of all, though, we need to ask ourselves, what is the opposite of love? Well, the easy answer is hate. If a love is a feeling of deep affection for someone or something, then hate is defined as an intense, passionate dislike for someone or something. So if I love the Steelers, then I hate whoever the Steelers are playing, and the Ravens, <laughs> and Tom Brady. Right, right. Just because I hate those teams that are trying to hurt my team because I love my team, right? That's the opposite. But consider someone like Ebenezer Scrooge in Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol. He did not have love in his heart. He was the one who coined the term bah humbug as an expression of contempt to anyone who would say Merry Christmas to him. He lacked love for many reasons, and it came out in his life in a general sense of, of bitterness. Maybe you know people like this. Maybe you've been a person like this before. Maybe you can't put your finger on it, or maybe you're blind to it, and sometimes you try to hide it, but underneath that exterior facade, there is an underlying current of bitterness in your life. Another opposite of love is anger, or more precisely, rage. Instead of a bitter person who internalizes their feelings, you become a person with a short fuse who snaps at people. When I worked in Chicago with a bunch of teenagers, teenage boys, I saw this a lot. Because them in particular, they would tease one another, playing around until one eventually one of them would snap and explode in uncontrollable anger, swearing, destroying stuff, breaking stuff, even going you know, so as far as to sometimes hurt somebody else. You know, trying to help people like this, I learned that sometimes that it comes from a hurtful past, sometimes even abuse. And there was no love and no forgiveness, and so there was just rage. There was just this short fuse. But another opposite of love which is just as hurtful and just as deep, but is not so noticeable, is apathy or numbness. Instead of replacing the feeling of love with a feeling of hate, a person just has no feeling at all. And all emotions are gone. And maybe this characterizes you as well. Where maybe there's not rage, but there's no love either. It's just numbness. There was a movie in the 80s that I used to like a long time ago called The Breakfast Club. And it features five high school students that are in Saturday school detention for the, for the Saturday, spending the day or the morning in a library together, and they start to talk. And they end up talking about how their families are all alike, including abuse or unrealistic expectations that are forced upon them. And after the four of them share, there's this scene where one of the girls says, you know, one of the guys says, like, well, what did your parents do to you? 
and her face is just this blank stare, and she says, they ignore me. And he just says, yeah. Such a painful scene that is a reality of too many people where it's no longer hate or rage or bitterness, but apathy, which just leads to numbness in life. And again, that's a lack of love. The answer to all of these love opposites is, of course, love. But where does love come from? It has to come from a place outside of ourselves, and it has to be unconditional. And the only being that could possibly provide that kind of love that we need is the love of God. However, the Bible also teaches us that God is holy. We know the Bible says that God is love, but the Bible also says that God is holy and God is just. So knowing that God is love is, is not something that, that happens easily. Think about this. How can a holy and just God also be a loving God? Shouldn't a holy God rightly punish sinners if he is also just and if he is also fair? That makes sense, right? And that was the problem that the 16th century monk preparing for ministry named Martin Luther was struggling with. He had such a fear of the wrath of God that early on in his ministry, somebody asked him this question, Brother Martin, do you love God? And you know what he said? Love God? You ask me if I love God? Sometimes I hate God. I see Christ as a consuming judge who is simply looking at me to evaluate me and to visit affliction upon me. Can you relate to that sentiment? Everybody's talking about God's love, God's love this. And what I've been through, I don't love God, I hate God. And what if God's just up there waiting to judge me for every little tiny wrong thing that I've done? Because I know that God is holy. The Bible says that he is holy, holy, holy. And I also know that God is fair. He is just. And if he is just, and if he is right, then he will judge us for not being holy, for being unrighteous. Luther was unconverted at this time. And so he did not grasp the good news of the gospel message. He didn't know the true love of God that we celebrate at Christmas. Because God is love, and he showed it to us by sending his Son, the most amazing gift. And that is what Christmas is all about. It's all about love coming down to us. Christmas is love come down to us. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about the birth of a ruler in Isaiah 9-6 with these familiar words. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And notice the words that are used here. For us, a child is born. He's echoing Isaiah 7.14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We know that Mary was a virgin. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she gave birth to this child. In fulfillment of Isaiah, for to us a child is born. Mary carried Jesus in her womb for, seven, for nine months. But the second part says, a son is given. Well, this implies that the son was a gift, a gift given by someone to someone. So where did the son come from, and why was he given? We know how he was given. He was given through being born of a virgin. It says in Isaiah chapter 7, the angel visited Mary. In Luke chapter 2, we read that, 
That was the fulfillment of the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7. And so we know how Jesus came, that he was born. But what about the part that says a son is given? Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, God is love. And God loves the world. He loves sinners. He loves the unlovely. He loves his enemies. And this is the way that God showed his love for us, that he gives. Because God is a giving God. We give out of a sense of obligation, don't we? Be honest. That's why we give gifts a lot of times. I mean, yeah, we want to show we, we love someone, but we feel like we ought to give a lot of times because we love, right? I mean, I just tell you I love you, but I also give gifts for that reason. But we, we tend to give out of a sense of obligation a lot of times. We give gifts to our kids because we were giving gifts to kids when we were kids, right? We give a lot of times, not every time, right? But a lot of times we give because we expect something in return. Either a gift or a thank you or an acknowledgement. We give because we expect something in return. If God isn't like that, though. He's not needy. He's not underhanded or two-faced. He doesn't have any ulterior motive. There is no sin in God, and yet God gives. Giving flows out of God because God is love. And what flowed out of his loving, giving self? But it says in John 3.16, his son, his only son, his one and only son, his only begotten son. All of those different ways in the English translation of John 3.16, that most famous verse, is a way to try to grasp this idea that, that it, he is the unique son of God. And the reason why they're trying to capture this, the writer of Hebrews also captures this when he says that, the Son given is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Man, that is amazing, isn't it, to think about? That the Son given is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of the nature of God Almighty, and that is took the form of a little baby. I mean, that is crazy. Imagine, like, you know the little communion cups that we take here? They're this big, right? And they have a little tiny bit of juice in there. And now imagine I have a, a whole pitcher of water and I try to pour it into that little cup. What would happen? I'm not going to do that up here because you know what's going to happen. I'm going to be covered in water, right? I'm going to be standing in a puddle of water. Now imagine it's like, you know, I set the little cup down and then I take a five-gallon bucket and then I just pour it on that. Is it going to fit in that little cup? No. It kind of, all right, now imagine that you're standing beside the ocean with a little cup, and you're going to try to pour the ocean into that little tiny cup. That's what it's like for the radiance of the glory of God Almighty to take the form of a little baby. It's hard to even wrap our minds around the glory of God that came down at Christmas because of God's love for us. Infinite, all-powerful, almighty God entering into human form, to space and time, one location, born to a young girl, born in an unlikely circumstance, in an unlikely location, in a difficult environment. Why? Because God loves us. 1 John 4, 9 says that the love of God was manifested among us with God sending his son into the world. 
So that is why God gave the gift of his son. It was because of his love. You see, this was what was necessary. And this is how God, a just God, chose to fix the problem with human sinners. Those who chose to rebel against him. You see, according to John 3, 18, it says that we already stand condemned as sinners. We deserve to be punished for our sins. We are guilty and deserve a just judgment for our sins, which is the judgment of death. However, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, so that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. To believe in God is to receive the gift that he is offering. So receiving the gift that he is offering is not just saying, okay, I understand the words that are coming out of your mouth. That's not what I'm exactly what I'm talking about. I know you understand what I'm saying. What I'm talking about is believing it, is repenting, turning of your sin, and trusting in him alone to save you. You don't just say, well, that's nice and walk away. That's not what Christmas is all about. You, re- you have to receive the gift that he is offering to you. And that is the gift exchange. In fact, Luther ends up calling that the great exchange. The great exchange. That on the cross, Jesus takes our sin, and in exchange, he gives you his righteousness. Because he wasn't just born as a little baby. He grew up, and grew up without sin. And he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And he lived a perfect life in perfect obedience to Heavenly Father. And then he went to the cross and died in our place for our sins so that we can pray and receive his work accomplished for us. So I urge you to pray and ask God to fulfill his promise that he promised to Ezekiel. You know, the prophet Ezekiel says this, the words of God, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, that is the gift that you need today. Because you can't change your heart of stone. You cannot perform heart surgery on yourself. And that heart of stone will continue to manifest itself in hurt and bitterness and anger and apathy or some other sinful, selfish way in your life. Until you ask God to take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And if you come to him, God will not turn you away because God is love. And God loves to give gifts. And look at what comes with this new heart and this new life of love in 1 John 4, 7. 1 John 4, 7 through 11, I'll read. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Notice this. First of all, it says that God loves us. God is the one who takes the initiative. God is the one who comes to us. He loves us first. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were yet sinners, God sent his son Jesus. 
That is one of the things that is so great about God's love, that he loves us first and that God takes the initiative. And another thing is that it is unconditional love that he shows to us. And this is how we know what love is, because love comes from God. Love does not come from your parents or from anyone else in a way that we need. Yeah, like I said, we get a lot of love from those parents and parental figures, parents and grandparents and other people who have loved us unconditionally. I mean, we do a lot of the stuff that we do in life because that's how we did it growing up, right? But listen, we love a lot of times, too, the way that we were loved, right? But look, our parents and our grandparents, nobody's perfect. You know, that's why we need the love of a perfect Heavenly Father who always loves perfectly. How are you going to know perfect love unless you've been loved by a perfect loving God? This is how we know what love is, because God loves us first. And if we have the love of God in us, it says, secondly, that, that we ought to love one another, because this is the natural outflow of the love of God in our lives. When you have experienced this unconditional love from the Heavenly Father, then you are free to love other people. It sets you free to love others, because you know that you are unconditionally loved by your Heavenly Father. You're no longer going to other people for approval. You, you no longer have to try to look for some other savior because you have Jesus as your savior. And you have that freedom to love other people. And you know what? Loving others is also a mark that you have experienced the love of the Father. Consider 1 John 4, 19 to 21. It says, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother... He is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Because that's a natural outflow of having the heart of stone removed and having a heart of flesh now. And so we don't do this out of sheer willpower and our own personal force. We do this as we walk in step with the Spirit. Because 1 John 4, 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. So now, we, he lived through him. We live our lives through him, through the Son, through the Son that was given by the Father who was born on Christmas Day. And so I invite you to receive God's gift exchange, this offer that he has to you today to give up your bitterness and your anger and your apathy and receive God's gift of love. And I want to end with this. I said Christmas is all about love coming down. And there was a hymn written in 1885 called Love Came Down at Christmas. And it says this, Love came down at Christmas, love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas, star and angels gave the sign. Worship we the Godhead, love incarnate, love divine. Worship we our Jesus, but wherewith for sacred sign. Love shall be our token, love be yours, and love be mine. Love to God and others, love for plea and gift of sign. Love came down at Christmas, love all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas, star and angels gave the sign. What a beautiful poem. Let's, let's pray and ask God to receive his love. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that each one of us here who can hear the sound of my voice, that we would receive your love today. That you would remind us of the unconditional love 
that you have shown to us and that you've proved it by Christmas morning and sending your son to come and be born, to be named Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Oh God, we want to trust in you. We thank you for the Christmas gift of Jesus, your son. In his name we pray, amen. Amen.